This is Seba, the Southern Fried Witch, and this is episode 36. I hope all of y'all are doing all right. Our particular family over here has gone through an awful lot in the last two weeks. Our sweet little Waylon kitty cat did not come in on time and was attacked by either a coyote or a fox. And we found him on the front step. He was locked out of the porch and was in deep trouble. However, we were able to get him to an emergency hospital, and donations just poured in to help this sweet baby. And there is some contention that he might not ever be exactly the cat he was before. However, he is surviving. He's had some damage to his larynx, so he no longer wails, but he can purr. Sadly, he will no longer climb trees. And sadly, he no longer will run in grass because I do not trust him not to wander again out here in the country. And it is sad because cats like that life and I think they do best in that kind of life. But he's a boy cat and boy cats, they're tenacious and uppity and like to get into shit. So he is now going to be a podcastering kitty. He's laying beside me right now, asleep and healing. A lot of rough things have happened to us in the past month. If I didn't know better, I would think somebody had done something really ugly. This was only one of the things. I think y'all know about the septic tank debacle. But you know, that ended up working out. After we found the money and went through the hell of getting it done, we have more room to park now, and we've planted new grass seed, and it's really pretty out there. A lot of that old shrubbery and hedges that were inside of the driveway are all cleared. You can actually see the trees. It's nice. And I have a very healthy new septic tank and the ability to add in a new toilet in this house. But at the time, it was just a heavy hit and I didn't see the rainbow at the end. And then our stove gave out. I mean, when it rains, it does pour. This dad was really old, so we generated a bunch of funds and went and got a new one, and that one didn't work either. Took that one back, and the new one that we got from that didn't work, and that's when we knew we had an electrical problem. All of these things have rectified themselves, and as is the nature of bad juju, especially if you don't deserve it, everything has kind of ended up morphing into something better. Although I do think we're done with the hits, we are exhausted. Today I wanted to read you some things I published a long time ago. There was a magazine called Crone Magazine that I was a columnist for for a little bit before they stopped publishing. And I really did love writing for this column because it allowed me to sort of marry my magical life with my academic life for a while. So this might not be everybody's cup of tea. I use a little bit of that voice that professorial side of me, and that's okay. Just turn it off if you don't like it. But this was issue number eight and actually published in 2015. 
My column started with a quote from Virginia Woolf, who I met in college through all of those beautiful moments in print and couldn't believe I'd ever had a life without her. And this is the quote. I resign, the evening seemed to say, as it paled and faded above the battlements and prominences, molded, pointed, of hotel, flat, and block of shops. I fade, she was beginning. I disappear, but London would have none of it, and rushed her bayonets into the sky, pinioned her, constrained her to partnership and her revelry. And that's from Mrs. Dalloway. And the title of this is The Nature of Sunsets. Late summer has always made me cry. That melancholy age gold of the sun across the garden, so different than the bright edge of spring, makes my heart ache. I remember trying to catch it in my fingers, hold its heat in my hands, just before sunset took it away. It was simply too much for me to bear. My grandma, the mother of my soul, would rock me, pat my hands, and hum until exhaustion set in. I remember begging her not to ever die like the sun, to which she replied, The sun is never gone, but only lighting someone else's way for a while. I was too young then to comprehend that kind of bravery. During the spring of my life, my job was crystal clear to teach my children, especially the youngest, the way of the witch. Our days were full of lessons in creativity, respect for the earth, ethical energy work, and kitchen magic. As an educator, I think of how this is like teaching English composition. My freshman students are guided through to craft clear thesis statements while trying out their rhetorical voices. As a mother, I found myself teaching magic in much the same manner. Here, honey, this is anathema. Here is its historicity, and you hold it like this. In the deep south, these moments might include a stalk of okra or a pear tree limb, but I reckon it's the same throughout time. I threw myself into teaching the olden ways and forgot to plan for late summer. This year, my youngest turned 18 on me, completely without respect of my own plan. I'm still aghast at this usurping of my well-preserved title of mommy. Apparently, I'm just mom now. As my other two were in their 20s, I'd counted on the little upstart not to shake my basket. It was a fine basket, lined with 28 years of experience in cookie-making, coloring books, soccer practice, and stargazing, and sported illustrious badges in areas such as picnic proficiency and Cherokee moon ceremony. But he, like the sun, had other plans and other hearts to light, and my heart ached when the basket began to slip away into the ether. It was, as my friends and I have dubbed it, the witch's duh moment. We know the seasons change, but somehow we forget that those changes apply to us and to our seasons. Sometimes we have less than gentle reminders. My so-called empty nest is now full of grown witches, chirping and clamoring. They ask me more than anything to create again, to carve and sand the lessons of my life and place them surreptitiously upon the family table. It seems that somewhere along the way, I had assumed that the demise of my reproductive capabilities somehow equaled the end of my ability to create. A ridiculous hypocrisy. 
born of my own exposure to Southern patriarchal notions of the female shelf life. We assume these normative postures of aging, and I reckon they can even comfort us from time to time. After all, if our time in the sun is up, it's time to pull up a rocker and rest a spell, right? These are the lies we chew and swallow whole when life has left us bruised, battered, and worn around our edges. No one can blame us, not really. Except for that nagging magical option to forego the rocker for a dance. You see, it is an alternative. Our feet are just as sweet against the grass as those of the maidens. As crones, our feet are sweeter for their history on wild and forgotten paths. We are not done. That knowledge, once fully accepted, rips away notions of the retirement of our creativity. My womb may not any longer bring forth spring, if you will, but when my fingers touch the keys, I create a visceral space for more than memory. When my wooden spoon turns and spins in the kitchen, wood against cast iron, I create a story of sustenance. My life, thumping and beating against time and in time with a goddess heart, still creates. After all, the passage of time has created me. Apparently, my new title will be Grand Kitty, just in time to augment the one I've recently assumed as Crone. The irony has not escaped me, nor has my experience as an educator. You see, I also teach world literature to seniors at a local university. Those students are expected to know the mechanics of thesis statements, how to hold anathema, if you will, as well as how to be adept at formulating their written voice, or how to articulate a spell. But now they come to learn something more, how to manifest an analogy. Someone must teach them, and I have this basket of endless possibility. As a crone, albeit maybe a baby one, I have lost sleep over my own late summer. My witchling, however, has undermined my refusal to move forward. I have recompense. The memory of my grandma holding me against impending darkness, promising the return of the sun. Why, I most certainly must return. Who will hand down legends around a fire? Who will mark the difference through storytelling and analogy between heritage mugwort and local weeds? It comes as no small revelation that someone must guide their mothers and fathers through the pitfalls and mires of, well, pragmatic witch-rearing. I grapple for my spiffy new basket. In doing so, I remember my grandma weeping at the news of pregnancy within our family. I can see her there, hand over her mouth, tears washing her beautiful face. But now I understand. Morning had come after the work of grieving an assumed sunset, despite it all. It had come against her valiant but premature acceptance of the dimming of the day. It had come to claim her once again and ask her to stand in it, knowing the inescapable risk, the guarantee of another departure. And now my hand over my mouth, it has come for me. I will be a grandmother, here in the dimming of my youth, here at the dawn of my own sunset. I will stand again, knowing the nature of sunsets. In it, I will teach the analogies that have manifested from my spring and fully participate in my season rather than hide from it in my fear. I know now that my grandma wept for herself, knowing that she would love again, knowing that she would learn more about that love, knowing that she was being asked yet again to risk everything.
knowing in that moment she would do it again. This is what cronehood means to me. It is that moment in which a woman, especially a witch woman, dusts off her thesis statement and trudges toward an analogy. Without this moment, we are incomplete arguments, grain that has not been culled, afternoons without a sunset. Thank you, Grandma, for teaching me that bravery was being scared out of my skivvies, but standing anyway. All right, we're going to continue story time. And this next one is called Embracing Outrageous Cronehood. And it was in the same magazine, Crone, and it's issue number seven. Because I like to begin everything with a quote, I think Stephen King got to me kind of early in my life. And he always has a quote. It's from Gloria Steinem. And y'all, I met her, I don't remember what year. I think it was 2011 or 12. And I have a picture with her. And let me tell you something. It was one of the pivotal moments of my life to meet her. Anyway, the quote is, Women may be the one group that grows more radical with age. And here's the little piece that I wrote. Y'all ready for more story time? All right, let's go. I remember the first time someone suggested that I might be a crone. Looking back, I can see myself so clearly, hand shielding my eyes, the sun bouncing merrily off the paint-white streak of my hair, indignantly protesting that I was too young for that kind of nonsense. After all, I still wore my jeans, torn and tattered in all the right places, and rocked the local band scene every summer, homemade wine in hand. My children were mostly grown, but even they thought I was cool. So the accusation of impending cronehood was haughtily dismissed that afternoon. What fools we make of ourselves when we shove our shadow work under pride and hide the whole mess in a basement. It didn't help that my husband was 15 years my junior, or that I taught young, fresh minds in a local university, or that some slippery slice of my conscious self had decided that sexiness could not survive advancing physical maturity. I refuse to participate in my own growth as a crone witch, and that, my friends, is assuredly not cool. I'd begin to suffer from arrested development in the craft. Although it took becoming pregnant in my late 40s for that truth to really hit home. Blindsided by a spring season and what suddenly felt much more like a fall body, my denial of my impending cronehood took the last train to Georgia and left me holding the bag. A very scary bag. I lost that baby, and some time later, I grieved her on my knees, my hands on the ground, shoved into salt and sage on that November evening, and somewhere before the chills sent me in, I saw them. My hands, blue-gray under moonlight, lightly lined in the delicate reach to a beginning knot of a knuckle. They were the hands of a crone, and they were riveting, like the ones that held me when I was young, the ones I never saw as old the ones that held so much grace and power. For one blinding moment, they were my grandma's hands. And in that moment, I wondered at her fabulous flesh. I saw them stroking a lover's chest, clutching a child's hand, working and knitting through the muscadine vines across the creek, even waving goodbye. Now her hands were holding mine, while the pain washed through my womb and over my skin until it became solace. Here it was. The knowledge of her as a woman, not just a grandmother. Here it was, the strength it took to jump the broom into cronehood. And there I was, realizing how single-minded I had been and thinking that 
Somehow we lose power in that brave jump. What fools we make of ourselves when we fight the wheel of time, angling for a position that no longer serves us or even suits our soul. I hope she saw me there, a half-naked, half-frozen, 47-year-old mess of a witch. I began to laugh. I'm still laughing. It turns out there's magic vibrating in the guttural hallelujah of a witch who's had her ear and her rear handed to her. In fact, I like that magic so much that I've decided to stay here. I assuage my pride by saying, in this land of cronehood, and check out the neighbors for a spell. It turns out that crones are one sexy, cool, righteous lot, and they have the best jokes. Embracing my nascent cronehood has provided a whole new lens through which to conceive my world, including the women that shaped my early life. As a baby crone, I've been enchanted by one heroine in particular. A few months ago, I attended a lecture by Gloria Steinem at my university. Riveted, I sat in awe of the woman whom I had quoted in articles and conferences and now stood before me at a wooden podium. When asked what women today could do to further the feminist cause, she wryly suggested that we, quote, form a coven. (laughs) And my colleagues squirmed and smiled in my general direction. I took furious notes, nodded vehemently, and stood in line for over an hour to have Miss Steinem sign her book. I stood with women of all ages, but I remember wondering and worrying about my lipstick. Was it worn off? Was my scarf too professional? After all, Gloria was wearing skin-tight black, (laughs) a wickedly embellished belt, and seriously leather boots. When I finally approached, shaking, I could only say, your word saved me. I was a beaten wife in the 80s, and you saved me. You are my hero. To which she responded, no, you lived it and fought it. You are mine. And then she smiled, her face so vibrant and alive, and most assuredly, mm, cool. Later that night, snug in my bed with my signed copy of Outrageous Acts and Everyday Rebellions, I was stunned to discover that Gloria Steinem is 80. 80 years of activist magic, resistance, creative thought, and wondrous living. The joke was on me. My heroine, fantastically self-aware, had become crone while I was furiously holding on to my fading status as maiden. I'm still laughing. How could I have not understood that my years were only building up to this ripe opus of life? Those stages were leading me to this place of crone, a place of becoming, rather than to the graveyard of what I had once been. In American culture, we have become obsessed with beauty and its dew rather than in its full flower. Such a thorough reversal of reverence denotes how far we have strayed from goddess culture. While I kneeled to her, wise, ancient, and ethereal, I had fallen victim to the dogma of youth worship. But then there remains that negotiation between my own revelation and acceptance of cronehood and the resistance of the general social sphere. This is where I land every time. The false axioms of crone witch as bent over, asexual, and crumbling into death that blind to me are the very ones still deeply rooted in our cultural psyche. I think of the evil witches and the monstrous old women in classic Disney films Maleficent, Queen Grimhild, Queen Narcissa, Cruella de Vil, Lady Tremaine, Ursula, and more, what do they all have in common? All are obsessed with either absorbing feminine youth and beauty or in destroying it in some manner. 
These images are etched upon our subconscious visions of cronehood. They deny the empathy, creativity, and beauty of a fully realized goddess. So I ponder, why are these images so broken, wicked, and macabre? The answer, I'm afraid, is partly because they reflect our own understanding of aging women, maybe our own mirror-mirror on the wall. But they also reflect the fact that we have not fully negotiated our identities within our society, especially with other women. Too often we compete rather than educate. We undercut rather than support. So often we refuse to carve and craft models of cronehood in the image of goddess. Instead, we posture an inarticulate disdain for the sacred process of aging. In doing so, we damage our spirits and all of those of our sisters. To all of this, I cannot laugh. There is simply too much on the line for the next generation and limited time in which to create an outrageous act. Aren't all such acts done out of the necessity and survival of our kin? And yet, that is exactly what we are, sisters across time. Who will our young women see when they peek into their own cronehood? A wicked hag clinging to her girlhood by stealing the beauty, the voice, or the very life of a younger woman? Or a mature woman, secure in her power as well as her aging beauty, fully becoming herself? I consider this my coming into Crone as a teaching moment. As an academic, a witch, a mother, a soon-to-be grandmother, a lover, a wife, a friend, I have a preternatural opportunity. I choose to perpetuate the outrageous act of refusing fracture, division, and sister-side. Rather, I possess the audacity to display my aging decalage, the nerve to dance in bare feet, the unabashed gall to flaunt my white streak, all while remaining spiritual in action and wise in reaction. I plan on being the coolest grandmother on the block, not as a defiant gesture of rebellion, but as an act of liberation. I plan to laugh at each and every line that etches across my face and at every knotted knuckle on my hand as I ride further and higher into the night sky of my own life. For I am finally closer to the Great Mother, the fairest one of all, and no slave Mira is going to tell me any damn different. Now that's what I call an act of magic. That's all for story time. I don't have to try very hard to tell you why I find it relevant now, do I? I've been listening, I've been watching, and I have seen that there are a lot of folks out there that do not think it's that important to keep grandmas alive right now. I mean, after all, there's not much time left, right? Now I want you to tell that to every time you've ever been on vacation. Where do you run to at the end of the day? What do you want to see? Well, if you're like me, you want to grab a really nice drink, maybe a margarita, maybe a good cold glass of wine, and go sit on that dock and watch that sunset. That gorgeous, ripe end of the day. The most beautiful it's been in 24 hours. Now I want you to imagine that someone says, Sunsets aren't that important. They don't last very long and they're always at the end of something. We can do without them. They are expendable. I have to tell you that kind of thinking chaps my ass. It burns me right the fuck up. And it's not just for myself. I also promise you if I were 22, I'd feel the same way. I was in love with my grandma. Nobody 
saved me like my grandma. If you knew my story all the way through, you would know that without her, I wouldn't have been a good mother. I may not be alive. You would have never heard my voice. I'm sorry, her sunset was perhaps the richest, most beautiful, most important time of her entire life. And personally, I wasted my 20s. I had a lot of sex. I had a lot of babies, but I certainly wasn't learning anything, y'all. I was swimming. I was so narcissistic. I wasn't helping anybody. And while my 30s were all about getting degrees and raising babies, and honestly, the best time of my life, so if you're 30-something, relish this. It's a good time to be alive. I kind of wasted most of my 40s, at least the way I understand value, because I understand value in ways that you can give back to other people on the earth. And I don't think I did a whole lot of that in my 40s, maybe at the end, but certainly not at the beginning. But I have tried harder to teach people how to grow things. I've tried harder to be valuable. I've tried to live up to my grandma in my 50s. As far as I'm concerned, these grandmas that everyone thinks are expendable because they don't have much time left on the earth anyway, so we don't have to grieve them too hard here in COVID-19. I'll tell y'all what, I'm glad you can't be close to me because I'd slap that spit right out of your mouth. They're packing in such a wallop of living, such a wallop of loving, and such a small time frame. No, they're not expendable. They're gold. There are sunsets. Without them, we don't have the voices of our ancestors. Without them, we don't have living proof of what we will be and how we can be brave to walk into that. If you have an old person in your life, you need to remember that value. A world without crones. If you're a witch, grieve with me now. This is part of our lives. It may actually be the most important part of our lives. And for it to be cut short by this virus, it's a tragedy. But only an open heart could weigh that. Y'all, I fought so hard in the last three months to teach my kids everything I can think of to teach them. I've given them stories of their grandmothers and grandfathers and great uncles. I've told them where we come from. I've taught them how to make Cuban pork butt with just the right amount of tequila and garlic. Y'all, that thing falls right off the bone. I've taught them how to grow tomatoes. I've taught them the importance of tilling the land, but not tilling too deep. We are working so hard right now to catch up to what I should have been doing all along, really. But the great disease of humankind is thinking that we have more time. And so while I would like to kick this damn virus in the ass, and while it just grieves me so much that my children had to be present for this, I'm working very hard on turning it into a gift. I'm working very hard on making sure I pack in as much crone knowledge as I can into their heads. I don't know how long I have. I don't know what could happen if I catch this thing. So this time, you know, it reminds me of this song. My dear friend Marion posted about this song not too long ago. It's called If We Were Vampires. I think it's by Jason Isbell. But there's a line about maybe time running out as a gift. Otherwise, I wouldn't feel the need to hold your hand. 
And if we were living forever, you know, this whole concept of how we assume there'll be time for something later. Well, honeys, there's not. That's never guaranteed. And in fact, I think when we take it for granted, it gets taken from us awfully easily. But as for anyone out there listening who thinks that our older generation is expendable, why, I'd probably carve a good five, six, ten years off my life to hold one more sunset with my grandma. That's how important she was to me. Some of y'all need to be taken to the woodshed. It is the nature of sunsets to teach us. It is the nature of sunsets to remind us of what we did in the day. And it is the nature of sunsets to allow us to see the fleeting nature of time. So tonight I grieve the loss of our crones. But I also challenge you to do something outrageous. Try to live. Try to make it through your own sunset. And please, consider standing up to those who say that our older generation is expendable. They have one last lesson that they need to learn. They have one last act on the planet that can be so beautifully outrageous in hues of red and gold, orange and pink, and sometimes even purple. No, no, no. That is not expendable. That is their grand opus. Okay, that's enough. I love y'all, and I will talk to you in a couple of weeks. Don't forget to call your grandma if she's living. Don't forget to honor your own sunset if you are. Blessed be. Y'all have been listening to the Southern Fried Witch Podcast. Come back around next week for a little bit more magic from the deep south.